Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is... <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> you didn't even get that right. Welcome okay. to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. <laughs> Ready, go. Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we are ready to dive into the light. The light. And I made fun of you for this one. Yeah, the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. I I, I deserve to mess up on that one, Chris. I deserve to mess up on that one. Okay, so (laughs) I'm just going to move right on because you're the mean one. We all have our role to play. You're the mean one. Um, we are joined today by the Tony Vicinda. And uh, I I don't know actually what you don't do. So you're a Catholic beard company. You, golly, I want to say the picture on Facebook I recently saw of you, but that's that's all I can see right now. And so uh, I feel like we're setting really good tone for today's topic. Uh, my name is Tony Vicinda. Uh, I am the founder and creator of Catholic Balm Co., um, the often imitated uh, never duplicated uh, creators of Catholic beard balm uh, and the Barbatist line, as well as lip balms, lotion bars, and other things uh, inspired by the Catholic faith. But I'm also a missionary um, at this new project my family and I are doing called House of Broken Loaves in Philadelphia, which is one family's attempt to love its neighbor uh, in the way that God asks us to. Um, I was one of the co-founders of Project YM, and I've just stepped back, and we're super excited to have them as part of the Ablaze family. And I do game design uh, in my spare time, uh, plus podcasting and stuff off and on, all kinds of other things. So yeah, about everything. You said Barbatus. Is that, is like, I always say Barbatus. Bar- Barbatus. I think people want to say like Barbados, like the the place, but it is Barbatus. Barbatus. It's probably actually Barbatus. Like, it, I mean, it's it's Latin, like it's a Roman name. Go. So Okay. Um, well, I'm wearing the Desert Fathers today. Whenever you open up the vault, so whenever you open up the vault, I love to just like pick and grab all kinds of random things. And so. Yeah. The vault is still, I think, I don't think we re-secured the vault yet. We should probably <laughs> do that at some point in time. Um the uh yeah it's when we put out our special limited edition but desert fathers we've actually moved on a kind of a when we make it lineup it's not seasonal particularly um we actually d- developed that one in partnership with the franciscan um uh the fires of the holy spirit out in phoenix arizona so it's all these like desert rumors and chaparral is amazing like the we like infuse that into it uh, some of the different scents you get, it's like very earthy. There's almost a leathery yep. tone to parts of it. It's what the desert kind of smells like after rain because there's this plant that opens up and blossoms mm. uh, during that time and releases this odor. And uh, that's uh, some people call it something else that I can't pronounce, but <laughs> chaparral is what I grew up calling it. In Texas. I would say it releases a scent. I always make the distinction between a scent and an odor. And odors are things you try and get rid of. Scents are things that you embrace. I don't know. The Bible calls it the odor of sanctity. Oh, burn. So are you trying to get rid of that? Lawyered. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> canon lawyered. No, I'm not a canon lawyer. No. That's one thing I don't do and I'm not interested so in. So one thing um, that you've done is some game design. And you've you, you had a game or have a game called Brand Standing. Um, it's, still, it's still getting its legs underneath it. But um, these type of things... Uh, you have found that uh, the sense of play or engagement through, I don't want to say competition, but just kind of through through that kind of gaming aspect that's very integrated in everything that you do, 
um, even the idea of opening and closing a vault in a uh, in a in a company is a sense of playing, uh, not manipulating right. but playing with uh, engaging with your customers, having something to make it a little bit more fun. And I wanted to dive into that today with you because I consider you kind of an expert in play, and uh, and as ministry leaders, golly, it's been a heavy little bit, and uh, yeah, and I think that play can bring some levity into it. That also comes with engagement, whereas a lot of times humor and comedy can be consumed but not engaged in quite as much. But play really does have an amazing thing. And I'm not asking you to tell us what the best icebreaker is, but rather kind of like how to incorporate that that into – and I'm a very playful father. I'm always playing games with my kids and things like that. It's very organic for me. But, um, but how to incorporate that into – the life of a ministry leader when sometimes it's not in the curriculum that we may be required to use in our uh, catechetical setting. Yeah. Well, first off, the best icebreaker ever is if this is a stick and this is a stick, is this a stick? That is the best icebreaker. And what do you guys think? Is that a stick? <laughs> I don't know. Like it's a T. <laughs> it, it is a stick. Yes. <laughs> It was not oh, a stick. No. Uh, we'll try again later, though. So, um, but no, but games games can take a lot of things, and play can take a lot of forms. Um, and I think there is a big difference between play and a game. A game, um, I think the the biggest kind of definition of a game is when you kind of um, we would call the, the game design you know theories that I prescribe to are you create a world, so you say this is how things are going to work. Um, you open that world, you say this is how we're going to enter into play. This is what this is what we do. Um, you play around in that world. And then you close the world. There's something that actually causes that that world, that time of play to end and draw to a close. It's a specific circumstance. So in a board game or in an icebreaker, that might be somebody achieving a goal. It might be a certain amount of time has elapsed, other things like that. But you know kind of what the rules are for how we're going to behave and what's going to cause this to close. And then you exit the world. So that now we're done with that. We set it aside. Play can be ongoing throughout the course of a weekend, which is why that icebreaker, um, which is something that you have to figure out what is the thing that makes something a stick or not a stick. And it's, it's variable, though there is a kind of a common way that you do it. But I will, I will do that. And, and it's, it's, it's a visual gag. So nobody listening actually has any idea what happened other than I said a couple words. Um, I use my fingers. But if I was at a retreat center, I'd take two sticks and I'd say, if this is a stick, and I'd pull it up in whatever direction I want to. And I'd say, and this is a stick. And then I would move the other stick out in some way, a relationship with it. Maybe they're touching, maybe they're not. Um, is, is this a stick when I, when I kind of put them near each other? And people have to guess whether it's a stick or not. And the answer is either yes or no. Who are they right or wrong? And I can do that for three years before some young people know what makes it a stick or not a stick. And if you get the right group of teens, no one wants to ruin the experience of discovery for others by just saying, oh, this is what, it, this is the answer, right? They don't want to rob people of the joy of that discovery. Now, you also get a lot of middle school boys who don't understand that concept. Um, but because it's able to go on forever, there's no real end to it other than discovery. And even once you've discovered it, you can still play because you get to the joy of watching other people go through that discovery. It's not properly a game, but it is a form of play. I mean, it is, it is a puzzle. It is something like that. So um, I think there's a lot of ways we can inject theories of play into what we do as ministry. I, I do think first and foremost, what I would want to say though um, is um, like the faith is not a game. Like, and, and we may get into some, some fun theological discussions around the overlap between religiosity and game theory. Um, but at the end of the day, like the faith is the deepest reality we have. And even if we look at the, the kind of 
definition of a game that I have, it actually kind of mirrors the, the essence, the essential nature of creation, that God created a world, uh, placed man in it to operate within a certain way, um, to experience joy and fruitfulness, and has also said that at a certain time, that world will end and he will close it and he will put it away and we'll, and we'll move on to something else. So there definitely are theological elements, but obviously the faith is actually an essential part of reality, whereas games allow us to engage maybe a subset of reality or create a slightly different reality that's a little bit different. So um, that's just a, for any deep theology nerds out there who get mad at anything I say later, it's okay. Like you're, It's all right. Like we get it. We, we, we know. Um, but I also am very serious about that with people who are like, oh, why haven't you ever made Catholicism in the board game? And a big part of it is like, have you ever seen Catholicism in the board games? They're all horrible. And the second part is, I want people to understand that as much as play is an essential part of what we do and how God created us, it's um, an essential part of our, our anthropologic reality. It's it's who we are as people. It's not it's not necessarily representative of what the faith proposes, which is larger than that and more real than that. And so I think that's an important aspect. So that's my immediately violating the expectations that people have of what this conversation. <laughs> no, might I think be like. I think that's great because. Uh, our relationship with God can be playful, but yeah. the liturgy should not be playful, right? And so there's there's right. certain contexts and different things, and so we can definitely have a a buddy Jesus relationship, but we also need to have moments where that's a very revered relationship as well. Or if the liturgy is playful, it should still be taken with sincerity and sober. There are some games that you play with incredible intensity, um, but it has it has a more uh, eternal impact, right? It's not something that we're going to, like the, the liturgy and other parts of faith, um, we're not going to at some point set them aside and walk away from them and be done with them. And so if, if the liturgy has any element of play in it, um, it's a moment of sincere and intense play that's probably more akin to um, excellence in a sport than it is, you know, a goofy party game, um, which is, you know, I think a lot of the dynamic that we're missing a lot of the time is um, play doesn't necessarily mean goofy. Um, it can. And I think that's a lot of how we take it. Um, intensity, competition, and other things are good. And pursuing excellence through play is a good thing also, too. Now, again, I, I totally I agree with what you're saying. I just want to say, like, I think there are still things we can take from play into liturgy, but it's, I think, that pursuit of excellence and virtue um, that we really have to look at through that and not, hey, can liturgy be more fun? Sure, yeah. Um, you know? I have a play fail that I want to share with you, followed yeah. immediately by a question I want I want you to address because I think it's something that, that that's a concern. So on a retreat, we decided to keep an ongoing game the entirety of the retreat. So every uh, small group had a stuffed animal, and that was their mm-hmm. stuffed animal. And the rule was, so long as one member of your group is touching the stuffed animal, that it was safe. No one could touch it. No one mm-hmm. could steal it. But the goal was to get other people's stuffed animals from other groups. And so uh, this teen in my group... I had our stuffed animal and uh, someone asked him to play the piano. So he set the stuffed animal down for like four seconds while he's playing the piano. And someone from the other group steals the stuffed animal. The other teens in my group basically turned him into a monster or a villain because he was the reason why we didn't have our stuffed animal. And he was never fully reintegrated into the group. Right. And so it was this, this, this competition, which was fun. But all of a sudden, um, when someone failed or lost in the competition, 
it kind of destroyed their experience or their relationship with the group because we had, instead of been a group, we turned into a team and that competition didn't end up unifying us back to a group again. So with yeah. competition, how, how, how do you navigate the competition, the shadow side of competition? Yeah. So the, we talk about healthy and unhealthy competition. And I actually propose that the church has an excess of unhealthy competition and a deficit of healthy competition. Um, and we have a small amount of each one. And that's why the competitive realities that we start to see, and, and I think we see this without calling out any, there's no group or station, right? Um, I think we see this in progressive circles as, um, am I more woke than you? We see this in traditional circles, uh, oftentimes focused around liturgy. We see this in moderate circles of saying like, we're better than both of those people because, um, you know, we see it, we see it across the board. We also see it in clergy as far as um, power struggles and fighting. We see the way that the lady sees that and starts to do it. That's a lot of the unhealthy competition we see in the church that we don't need to dwell on a ton. Um, healthy competition in the church is uh, really more about, hey, um, how is the excellence of somebody else um, calling me to do better? And so, um, I, I've, you know, I think within youth ministry, I think what you're talking about is a very common thing that we see. And I think every youth minister who likes games or thinks games are important or who is, um, especially I think for men, um, who, who pursues those types of things have those stories and usually more than one because sometimes they don't realize how damaging that was because enough loud people had a good time that that one kid who just never came back because he was so demolished because he was cast out of the group, um, which is maybe not what happened in your situation, but I know has happened for people. Pretty close. Um, Pretty close. Doesn't say anything. Um, they just don't come right. back because that's not what they're into. Um you know, there's a lot around that. And so I think for me, the fun thing is always like uh, for within the within the experience of play, um, like low ropes and experiential education are a big part of my background. Um, it it, it inform, informs my play. So I think almost all play should have an element of processing with it also, too. And there's lots of forms of processing. So there's front loading what you tell people about the experience and the more positive term of that is framing. Right. Um, there's there's processing as you're going. Hey, what is everybody's experience with this? I want to check in. Um, and a lot of these are things you might see in small group theory also, too. Um, and then there, there's the afterward process and hey, what was everybody's experience of that that lets you kind of debrief and say, oh, where were the misses? But also what were maybe those, those teachable moments, those opportunities for learning? Um, and that can really help us. So I, I don't think everybody has to be perfect the first time, but here's, here's a big difference that shifts those things. Um, if your goal is to get other people's stuffed animals, then you're going to consistently go after people's stuffed animals. It's probably going to be disruption for your group and a distraction from the other things you're there to do because that's more fun. And so it's going to take over, hey, we're supposed to be over here practicing Lexio, but we're going to send two people off to go sneak around while everybody's practicing Lexio and do this, which takes them out of the re retreat experience versus your, your job is to hang on to your stuffed animal the entire weekend, right? And even thinking like maybe you just lose points or maybe other people gain points by taking them. Each one of those things is going to influence how people play. Um, but as soon as you've taken it, you just give it back, right? So the, the game continues because, okay, we got it. We scored points. Like we went up to Chris, he marked them on the board or he marked their team down on the board and then we gave it back. So everybody's still playing and everybody's in play the entire week. But instead they um, ripped the head off of the animal and they put it all the way <laughs> right. up on top of the flagpole and it was hilarious and devastating at the same time. Oh my right. gosh. And, and for me, my statement about that would be, well, you don't get any points for that because you don't have that stuffed animal, right? Like, so I would, I would create rules that say we're caring for these things, right? I mean, and a lot of this is just stuff you learn over time, right? You learn how to craft rules and you learn it primarily by 
doing it a little wrong the first time or doing it very wrong the first time or thinking through it in advance or somebody says something 10 years later and you go, holy crap, I didn't realize that was as big of an issue as it was. Um, And so, you know, like you just, you start to think through the lens of what's the worst thing (laughs) that, that my most energetic freshman like guy is going to do to this stuffed animal. Okay. uh, How far do I want to walk back that being out of bounds before we've made this not fun? Because again, if the goal is steel return, steel return, steel return, everyone's in play. Things are going the whole time. You can also choose to increase, increase score halfway through the weekend if somebody's run away. So everybody still feels like they're, they're in it. But the goal is again, how much, how much of a thing you want to make that. But I love, I mean, I love gamifying weekends. I know this is a a common passion of yours and mine. Um, I, I oftentimes will tell people, who I work with in secular arenas because it's a good chance to expose them to, to my faith and a lot of what I do. You know, my, my retreats, lots of times that I was designing, um, especially when, when I shifted away from just direct parish ministry to um, supporting other youth workers. Um, and this is really before Project Wyman had taken off. We had a different name, we had a different focus, and it was on-site experiential ed, retreats, other stuff like that. And, and, um, a lot of them are basically like low key LARPing experience, which stands for live action role playing. So like we did a survivor weekend. So talk about the ability to create a toxic environment. Um, like, you know, it, 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 we just drew on the, the reality TV and we had, when they got picked up on the bus, we had one of our staff members there who was dressed in a Hawaiian shirt and they were pretending like they were on a boat the entire time and that they were a cruise guide. And so they would like grab the microphone and narrate through content and then just pick it up and make dumb. Like on the left side of the boat, we're passing this island and it'd be whatever, McDonald's Island, and they just point out the window at McDonald's or whatever, right? Um, and when they got to the edge of the camp, right, the edge of the camp, this is the Pines out in East Texas, if you guys have ever been, they hit a rock. They didn't actually hit a rock, but they hit a rock in the narrative and their boat starts sinking and they have two minutes to grab whatever they can and try to swim to shore, which is the pavilion that's like a half mile away in the dark, not through the woods, on the street. There's plenty of staff members around. It's all safe. Um, so they've got as much as they can. Everybody gets all their stuff off the boat before it sinks, right? Um, but when they get there, they're confronted with the fact that they're in these life rafts and these life rafts are still continuing to sink. And so they can now only each grab two items out of that thing with which to survive the entire weekend. And so they have to pick each of them what their two items are going to be. And we clarify, we had to clarify halfway through that part, like the only type of bag that counts as a singular item is a sleeping bag. Otherwise, whatever's in it is going to count as items. And the best part was watching a group of girls who were all trying to grab their makeup bags go, like one of them just stop and look at us and look at everybody else and go like you grab mascara you grab lipstick you grab this you grab, like switched into like super hyper organized like we're gonna get all the basics and we'll just share them you know and we had kids grab uh laptops or sleeping bags or a, a thing of clothing or a snack or whatever like you've got all these different things that people are grabbing and and we gave them these things and they they went over and like we're giving them their stuff back this is just for the initial conceit of the the weekend um and then they had to build their shelter with those items that they brought and very limited supplies that's all play right that's all play um within the context of it and some of those things were we're starting to teach them some basic gamification of how we were doing things for the weekend but the first competition was the shelter building competition 
And at the end of it, um, that was the second competition. There was another competition that helped sort them into whether they were on the main island or the exile island, which one was the normal space we were meeting in where most of the groups would be. And the other one was where two small groups got sent for small group breakout breakouts. And it was like the old staff lodge and no one had cleaned it up at the end of the summer and furniture was sideways in it. And it was like dusty and crappy. And, and a lot of groups loved it actually because they were they're teenagers and other people hated it. Also the heater didn't <laughs> work in it. So we all came back to the main space for talks, but when you were in small group, you got sent back to whatever Island you are on. And so there, we immediately said, Hey, this is punitive, but you're going to have the opportunity through each of these things to get off this Island, to get, to get sent back and forth. And if you do it right halfway through that weekend, like five kids came up to me at different points and were like, why does anyone have to go to exile Island? Like, why can't we all just be in the main room? There's plenty of space. And I'm like, that's fine with me. Y'all have to discuss it with everybody and then say, we want everyone to come on, on to Exile Island. Like you can, you can, you can, if you frame things properly, actually develop empathy through the course of games also as people start to see, hey, this doesn't work. It doesn't make sense for these have to do it. But, but the, the weekend itself was a bunch, of, a bunch of play. Like the entire thing was play. There were all members on Survivor Island. Um, like we had, you know, John Egan come out and talk about the the history of the area, which they always do for Survivor. I'm not a Survivor fan like Michael Marshawn, other founder is, and he wasn't actually even on this retreat. Um, so I'm like, I'm like figuring out what Survivor looks like <laughs> as we go. Um, but um, but some of them were actually competition games. Other things were low rope experiences um, and they were all connected in different parts to different elements of faith that helped them unpack some of the different themes of the weekend. There was prayer and processing that followed each one. There was good framing, good front loading. So when you do play well, you can create a really toxic environment and see the opposite. You can see not just, hey, they, they didn't steal the thing or the play kept on going, but um, actually they, they learned the rules of the game and they learned the intent of the game well enough for them to want to change the rules of the game to make them more more human and embrace more of the aspects of what the faith actually tells us we should be doing. Uh, good games, I think, I explicitly, um, any good game teaches you something. Now, whether that's a positive message, negative message, neutral message, totally a different thing. But um, I, I think that's something we see. And a lot of people kind of ignore that reality. Even if it's just the rules of the game, you're still learning something as you play. And good games take you high. But I think... Uh in that, we also heard that good ministry leaders in the midst of games are adaptable. And so you, you saw this opportunity. You said, let's go ahead and change it up because they want everyone to be on the same island together. This is great. This is a learning point. Let's change the game a little bit to meet the needs or the emerging needs and things of that nature. Right. Yeah. And it, it is important. Like, like it wasn't also, okay, cool. Y'all want to do that. I'm going to make this change. Right. Cause that's the me fiating and it, it, it violates the expectations that we've set up, which is there's this competition. It was a statement of, if y'all feel strongly about that, present it to your small groups. If your small groups agree, let's talk about it with the whole group and let's come to a consensus on it. Now you can't always come to a consensus, but over the course of a week and you can't. And really the tension was, well, this is a fun game and we all like, we like playing it and it's a fun, like not real consequence versus how important is unity, which is, which is a fun, like an interesting conversation to watch teenagers try to navigate. And our primary job during that time is really just to be asking questions and helping them learn to process that through the lens of the church and through the lens of Christ. What is, what does God have to say about this? Um, like, are there circumstances in some way, shape or form hindering them from what's essential? If so, then yeah, justice dictates that we need to make a change in those things. And if not, and we all understand this is a game and no one's upset, we can still play in that mode because some people might want hard mode. Um, and what it ended up being was like 
people basically, because we were, were eventually everybody was going to come back to the main island. Like that was a processing point for later in the weekend. Um, but the reality is it, it ended up being like, well, some groups liked meeting in there. Okay, cool. Those two groups are going to take over Exile Island. It's going to be their space now because they like it. However, we're all going to spend more time. There's not going to be any more rules about who can come or go from those spaces or anything else like that. Um, so I do love that. I've done the mascot thing also too. Um, I think it's a blast. I think, you know, for me, one of the biggest things was just framing like, Hey, we don't want anybody's weekend to get broken down. So if it happens, we'll have to stop the game. Right? Like that's it. You just name that up front. Uh, and if anybody's giving their group too hard of a time or if anybody's like, you know, destroying the mascots, like, or other things like that, like we all know that might be funny, but the reality is you can name those things in advance. It's just things that are off limits, yeah. um, which they may just take to the next level of creative rules interpretation. So like, what can I do to this thing that's not destroying it, but still ruins somebody else's weekend? That's fine. There are people who think that way. There's actually nothing wrong with pushing those boundaries um, as long as we're not hurting other people. Like if everybody, if everyone is laughing, if we know that there's a way to get it back, if whatever, like if they float it out to the middle of the lake in a canoe and then send you a picture of it, why they have their cell phones on retreat, whatever that's funny. Like there's a ransom quality to that, you know, or maybe it switches over to any of the ones that you've had halfway through the weekend. You can hide somewhere. Um, your, your small group leader will take a picture of it and we'll let those other groups try to figure out where it is based on those pictures. Like you can evolve the game to increase what play looks like over time. You just got to think through it um, or again, be able to be adaptable in the moment. Yeah. And each, like there are different types of games or different motivations between each one, because you can have a game that's just to make the experience fun. Or just to make the mm-hmm. retreat fun and that's it. And there's nothing to teach or whatever through it. But then you can take something where if you stood up in front of the the group and just taught them something, um, that it would go over like a lead brick. like Or that it would go in one ear and out the other. But you can create a game that is actually meant to teach. Like Chris and I first met um, on a, a weekend um, retreat that was all about, you know, um, social justice. You know, and one of the games that they did was a game that, um, really put people in different scenarios and different places and stuff like that. And I, and a lot of people have done different games like this, but to actually see the kids go through, well, Hey, if I just share with what I have with what they, with them, then, then I'll have enough and they will too. And they wouldn't mm-hmm. have gotten that. Like if you had just told them that from the front. Right. Or they would have felt like you were ruining the game. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the thing. So anyways, the, the reality is, um, there's, there, there absolutely are ways to do that. The, the biggest thing is a, if you're going to incorporate play into what you're doing is that like figuring out how to not have to ruin the games, um, how to not violate expectations. I think this is something that we actually really um, are bad at in the church today. Um, is this concept of violated expectations. And we can look at that through scandal. We can look at that. Uh, if you're a church employee, you probably certainly know what I'm talking about. We typically walk into to thinking church is going to look, look one way and it looks another way. Um, some of that's a lack of professionalism. Some of that's a lack of clarity. Some of that's some of the the ills and the wounds of the church in the last, you know, 2,000 years because they've, they're there. Some of them are much more modern than that. Um, we constantly have a tendency to violate people's expectations. They show up to church looking for something and we tend to have a to not rise up to what the actual need is. Sometimes because we're not asking, sometimes because we're not aware, sometimes we're not leveraged in that direction. But within the context of play, we can actually see a microcosm of that. When you explain rules to people, you have to explain them clearly. One of the things, number one things when people tell me they're bad at games, at leading games or leading play, I say, how often do you practice your, like, your presentation of the game? What do you mean? How often do you practice how you're going to introduce 
the rules and how you're going to say all the things that you're going to say when you do it. We call it patter and like, uh, in, well, in any number of things, but in, in lower ropes education, we call it patter. Like, what's your patter? How are you consistently talking to people through this? Um, and that's actually something you have to practice to make sure you hit all the rules, you say them clearly, and that they're actually enjoyable to listen to so that people don't zone out part of the way through the process. Um, because if you don't set up clarity around what the goal is, what the rules are, and what their resources are for doing that, um, then you're essentially going to end up for sure with somebody who's upset at the end of that experience. Whether that is because they're hyper competitive and didn't know what the stakes were, whether that is because they didn't pay attention, whether that's because they had an idea that they felt like they couldn't execute on it that fit in the rules, but other people didn't think so. Clarity on rules help with a lot of those things. And then making sure that you don't just stop at that point, but that you walk around and reinforce the rules. Number one thing, if I'm, if I'm leading a game and I'm walking around and somebody says, can I do X, right? I never say yes. Um, I rarely say no. No only comes up if there's a safety issue with it. I just repeat what the rules are again to them and let them make a decision about whether or not they think they can do that. Um, now, if they ever do anything, that, that if I see them doing something that violates the rules, I will let them know. I'm not just like, no, you're breaking the rules. Keep on going. Um, but I will go up and say, hey, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat a specific rule to you. I want you to listen to it. I want you to tell me if what you're doing lines up with that, right? Um, uh, or if it's unsafe, I'll just say, hey, I know this wasn't in the rules, but this isn't safe. Like, we can't do this. If you can find another way to do it that is safe, feel free to. Um, those things are important. They prevent violated expectations. There's probably some HR lessons in there, um, you know, um, as well as spiritual direction lessons in that. Like, what does this look like? How does this go? Where, what are we trying to do um, matters. Um, I think most of our, our sacramental procedures could benefit from better, better rules or objective or, or statements of clarity um, as far as what we're trying to do. Um, you know, if we're trying to lead people to, into a guaranteed encounter with Christ, if that's the goal um, and the thing we're trying to do in prep is dispose them to that, are we actually naming those things clearly and explicitly so that grace can be allowed to flow in the way that it's supposed to? Like those are all things that we can draw influence from, from play and from games. And earlier at the very beginning of uh, when we started talking, um, there is. And I didn't stop. No, you never stop talking. That's okay. <laughs> we 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 are getting better at interrupting you. Oh, we knew what um, we were signing up for. Yep, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but no, the the idea. Strap it. Of, hold on. It's the Tony Vicinda rag. The idea of play in prayer. Um, that we have this idea or this thought that um, all prayer has to look a certain way, but. If, if you have a playful personality, God wants to play with you in prayer, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And who is the root of play, right? Like, it, it, and this is something I think we miss the intense humor of God and, and, and Jesus, like God, the father and Jesus throughout creation, throughout the old Testament, throughout the, I mean, like if you, there are more poop jokes in the old Testament than, than I could name off the top of my head. Like, like there is a sense of, of a playful reality that God calls us into. Um, like I, I even you think gotta about give people one example. Oh yeah. So like, um, there's a couple of them right in a row. The best one is when, uh, David is on the run from Saul. Um, he's hiding in the back of the cave. Saul comes in. Um, and there's, there's a couple different ways it gets rendered. Right. Um, that um, basically like um, one of them I think is like he covers his shoes with his pants. Right. Um, another one is um, uh, he, like, there's a couple different ways it renders, but that's, that's like one of them. And everybody's like, Oh, I don't know what that means. It's the old Testament. I'm not supposed to. And they just keep on going. Well, covering your, your shoes with your pants is what happens when you down trowel, right? Because you're relieving <laughs> yourself. Like, so that like, it's clearly naming like 
David's hiding in the back of the cave while Saul is taking a dump and relieving himself. Like now the language obscures that. Um, one of my other favorite ones is um, uh, when, um, oh man, I'm going to forget which one it is. Uh, let's say it's Elijah with a J. Um is fighting the the prophets of Baal and they're having their showdown, right? Um, and uh, and so he he says, you know, uh, you guys go first, right? And they're 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 praying to their God. There's hundreds of them. They're they're asking him to come down and consume the altar with fire. And at one point, he basically starts going like, "Oh, like maybe you should speak louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Like maybe he's." Like maybe he's off doing his business. Off doing his business is a literal translation for maybe he's off taking a dump. Yeah. Like it's not like maybe he's busy. It's maybe this God of yours is too busy going to the restroom to actually pay attention to your needs right now. Um, like there, this is a common thing in the Old Testament. Like the Old Testament is very, and even in the New Testament, are very visceral. Uh, they're very human because they're exploring how God is bringing our humanity closer to His divinity in preparation for the incarnation. So there's a um, sense of humor in Scripture. Yeah, absolutely. And even from the beginning of creation, like, so think about, um, you know, as, as much as, um, as wherever anybody wants to interpret Genesis, right? Like as far as the, the level of literal versus literalism that you want to bring into it. Um, at one point, the way that God articulates his relationship with man and the story of Genesis is that he would come down and walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day. Right. Like the sense that at the end of the day, when the cool breezes blow through this perfect paradise, that God is coming down and just delighting in his creation. And I don't know if you guys have ever gone on a walk with your kids. I'm a bad dad, so I haven't. But I've seen videos of it. Um, the, your, your children will run ahead and they'll see something. They'll be excited and they'll come back and they'll want to they want to jump over the cracks in the sidewalk. Kids are wired for play. And for me, like whenever I hear that thing, whenever I think about the, the sense of joy and delight we're supposed to be expressing there, like I just imagine Adam and Eve like running around describing God's creation to him and like he fully knows it and them figuring out, hey, like here's fun and funny things we can do like and share with God during that time. Like it's not explicit, but even from the beginning of that, we do see the space of delight and of joy that God has created to spend time with his people. And anyone who's walked with their children knows like that's going to be a time where play is going to come in. Like that, that play is going to be explicit there. My prime examples in, in, is looking at my relationship with my kids. And yes, it's changed from like the super silly when they're really young and tickle fights or whatever to like a different version of silly and, and puns and different things like that as they get older. But there's this sense of play that I, I love right. playing with my kids, you know, in different ways. And if I love it, I know God loves it. Now, I still love a serious conversation every so often to get to the meat of what's going on in their life. But I also love to play with them. And, yeah. and if I love it, I know God loves it. Yeah. And again, I think it also goes back to like, there are, it's not just the, it's, it's, it's sometimes that intense play. Like um, there are games, like there's a game called um, uh, Diplomacy. That is my favorite game of all time. I don't know if you guys have ever played. A lot of people are familiar with it, but haven't had the chance to play. It's also known as a friendship eliminating game. Next, whenever we can get all get back together in meet space, we should all show up like a day beforehand, get everything set up. Um, and then play diplomacy with a bunch of people one night because uh, it's better if you're not going to see those people for a little bit. Um, <laughs> so imagine the game of Risk, which are you guys familiar yep. with Risk, right? Yeah. Yep. But instead of there being any sort of dice mechanic to resolve things, everything is equal in power. So they just bounce off each other if if no one's going to win. So nothing gets destroyed. You just kind of bounce back and you can't invade the other space. So everybody walks around and it's just the deal making. Who are we risk. going to so betray? It's like, yep. 
who are we going to, I'm going to, I'm going to move my guys in here. You better, and everything moves at the same time. And so wow. you can say whatever you want to everybody. You write down what you're actually going to do. The game runner flips them over at the same time and everything moves simultaneously. And so um, you find out what people are actually going to do when they do it. It's a phenomenal game. It's a phenomenally fun game. Um, but it's intense. Like there are very few moments of like laughter in a game of diplomacy. People need to know the stakes of the game going into that. If they think, oh, this is going to be a fun game. I might win. I might lose. It's like, well, like you also have to understand you're going to be like, like with transparency, like deceiving people. Like everyone knows this isn't lying. This isn't deceptive in some sort of moral sense. Like we have all agreed that for the sake of this, we can lie to each other, right? For this game. Um, and and we're gonna we're gonna make agreements and arrangements and then actually do certain things and and who knows what those might be, um, like that's it. That's there's it's always intense play. Like when there's laughter, it's like when you're talking about it later on that night, having done it. Like it's never in the moment. Uh, same thing for an, in an intense sporting event. Like hopefully your children enjoy playing sports, but if they're a serious athlete, like that play is going to have an intensity of focus to it that isn't necessarily going to mean like laughter and goofing around. It's going to be very, very serious. Um, and I think that's, I mean, again, I think this goes back to like, what are we doing that's play that's oriented just specifically towards joy? And then what is actually oriented towards like arete, towards virtue and towards excellence? And, and the ideal is that they're, they're doing both of those things, right? That it's helping form virtue and doing play. But there's also nothing wrong with just pursuing excellence and just pursuing joy as long as we're not causing injury to another or to ourselves during that. How would they reach you? How can they even support you? That, that, that mission of... Uh I, I want to say broken mobile loaves and fishes, but also broken loaves. Um, if you want to support that, you can go to uh, brokenloaves.house. Um, you guys can go to tonyvicenda.com and find all the different projects I do because that keeps me from having to point people in a million different Good. places. That's tonyvicenda.com. Yeah. Um, it'll link out to most of my current projects. The only one that's not up on there right now that is game related is um, uh, I, I recently successfully crowdfunded a beard based role playing game. That. So, Matt, we can play yeah. this uh, the next time we're together. Um, you create crazy characters who all have amazing beards. All the stats are based on beards. You come up with skills. It's very light. If you've never played a role-playing game before, it's an excellent place to start. Um, but you can get, get, find that at beardrpg.com. That's beardrpg.com. But don't even descend .com for everything else. House of Broken Loaves. Um, you know, we're, we had a global pandemic that kind of slowed us down. Um, but we've had some amazing fruit that's come up. And we're actually just about to get a new computer for this space and start dropping a whole lot of content about stories that have happened over the course of the last six months. Um, we're not perfect. We're figuring out what we're doing, but if you want to help support that vision and help us figure that out, uh, brokenloves.house or tonyvicinda.com are the best place to go. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tony, for being with us today. And thank you guys so much for joining us today. Let's continue the conversation online. And guys, send any feedback you have to MLA at ablaze.us. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week uh, to pray for other ministry leaders and steal their mascot. <laughs> we will see you next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless you.